0: Good morning. Before I uh, begin my sermon, I want to acknowledge and give thanks to your priests, um, Reverend Nate and Reverend Katie, for their invitation to me to uh, be with you this morning. And uh, it's a privilege and an honor to share this sacred space and to be in this pulpit with God's people on this beautiful California day. I want to also uh, thank uh, Reverend Deacon Kate for letting us sit during that long reading of the Gospel. (laughs) Now, you, you may be wondering why this stranger from Buffalo, New York has come all the way here to be with you on this fourth Sunday in the season of Lent. And contrary to, I'm sure, what you're first thinking, contrary to what you're thinking, it has nothing to do with the weather back in Buffalo. (laughs) Someone sent me a picture yesterday of uh, snow about there. We've actually had a pretty mild winter, though. My wife, Ronnie, is with me, and we were in Belmont, California last uh, Sunday and preached there and then spent the week driving down the Pacific Coast Highway, something that we've always wanted to do during our 43 years of marriage and so we had a chance to do that and it was glorious and uh, even though uh, Katie uh, sent me a text uh, apologizing for the rain and saying, oh I hope it hasn't dampened your, uh, your vacation and I said, I know y'all need the rain, so it's okay, it's okay. And you can thank us for bringing it from Buffalo if you want to do that. And though you know, the real reason I'm with you this morning is because Katie, a colleague from our days of serving together on the Board of Trustees at Berkeley Divinity School at Yale, uh, the other Berkeley, and saw a posting that I put on social media on Facebook you know, it was a moment between the November election. You, you all remember the November election? <laughs> there was a moment between the November election and Inauguration Day when I went on Facebook in, in, a, in a moment of uh, probably partial insanity, when I, I volunteered to go anywhere in the country at my own expense, if necessary, to deliver messages that some clergy may not feel comfortable delivering or were unwilling, reluctant, or simply unable to preach to their people. Now, I don't know in what category Katie and, and Nate are fall into, if either those or some other, but uh, let me just say to you now that if you don't like what I have to say today, don't blame Nate. <laughs> blame Katie. I know you'll get it anyway, right? (laughs) Now, some of you um, might like to know the title of my sermon. I'm going to get to my sermon in a minute. Uh, My sermon is titled, How Blind, How Blind Is Your Faith? How Blind Is Your Faith? And what I'm going to say may sound like political commentary, instead of theological interpretation. Truth is, my sisters and brothers, I have never in my life preached a political sermon. Yes, what I preach may indeed sound very political, but I am simply interpreting to the best of my ability the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yes, Jesus, the one who lived among us, was tempted as we are, who was victimized by a criminal injustice system and executed because of his politics. But I'm getting ahead of myself, so uh, I invite us now to join our hearts and minds as one in, in this brief moment of prayer. Lord, let my presence decrease so that yours may increase. Let me not be a clanging gong or a crashing cymbal, but a trumpet blaring your truth to your people. May the ears, hearts, minds, and souls under the sound of my voice be open to whatever the Spirit offers. And may each thought, each word, and each action of our lives be always acceptable to you, O oh God. Amen. How blind is your faith? Whenever people tell me that my sermons are too political, I I mention that the Bible—you guys are familiar here in California—with <laughs> the Bible is full of stories about political conflict, from Genesis all the way through the Revelation. These encounters usually come from a rejection of God's commands by God's people. I always ask those folks when they put that question to me, do you remember the Exodus story? My goodness, was that not about politics? There we have a full-blown revolution against Pharaoh being led by a community organizer by the name of Moses. Moses. And one of the examples I I often like to cite to show the interconnection between politics and religion is actually the story from the Old Testament text that we we heard today, the first lesson. It actually begins in the first chapter, uh, uh, 1 Samuel uh, chapter 8. 1 Samuel chapter 8. That's the Baptist in me showing a little bit, uh, so forgive me. In that chapter in first Samuel God's chosen people demand a king they call upon Samuel to ask God for a king to protect them fight their battles and rule over them and God tells Samuel that he needs to go and tell the people they really don't know what they're asking for God says their faith should be in God, not in human kings. And and God outlines what will happen, what will happen to God's people if they have a king. And Samuel takes the word of God back to the people. And he says to the chosen ones that a king will lie to them. Cheat them, steal from them, enrich themselves at their expense, exploit their children and themselves for personal gain, conscript their sons and daughters to fight wars, and to produce the elements of battle. Any ruler, any ruler other than I, says God, will take your land and the produce from it and make it available to only a few and finally god points out that the people the people will become subjects of their kings and will be forced to follow their unjust laws instead of the just commands of god but you know what the people still insisted on having a king even after all those dire warnings from God through Samuel so God relented and appointed Saul king to rule the people of Israel ah but it didn't take long for for them to realize their mistake Saul their new king lost favor with God when when Saul broke God's Commandments including keeping food from the people. Saul even condemned his own son, condemned his own son to death for eating when he was hungry. It's in the Bible. You can look it up. What do the people do? Instead Instead of turning back to God, as their ruler, they insist yet again that God place a new king over them. Get rid of Saul. So that brings us to today's text. The downfall of Saul as king is twofold. First, he fails to pay allegiance to God alone. Secondly, his arrogance causes him to demand that the people pay allegiance to him as king. Power goes to his head, and Saul believes he is able to do anything and everything he wants. But God finally has enough of Saul, and he sends Samuel to anoint a new king by the name of David now Saul and David had several things in common both were described in the Bible as tall and handsome things that could be seen with the eyes each of them Saul and David fell short however of the expectations God had of them and you no doubt you you no doubt remember that story of King David and Bathsheba? It's a story about politics, but it's also about something else. (laughs) David raped Bathsheba. What? King David raped Bathsheba, you say? David saw Bathsheba beautiful woman the wife of a soldier in his army bathing in the middle of the day and as David looked down from his rooftop he saw her and he lusted after Bathsheba and he decided he just had to have her so King David used his patriarchal and political power to summon Bathsheba to his chamber, sexually assaulted Bathsheba, and then sent her back home. Bathsheba got pregnant from the rape. And David did everything he could to try to cover it up by having her husband brought back, brought back from the battlefield. David did everything he could to get Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, he did everything he could to encourage Uriah to sleep with his wife while he was on this weekend leave. However, Uriah, out of allegiance to King David, does not sleep with Bathsheba and he returns to the battlefield. David then arranges for Uriah to be killed in battle so that it would not become known that King David was responsible for Bathsheba's pregnancy. Now keep in mind, this treachery is all being orchestrated by the very king that had been anointed by God. It was said at the time of David's anointing, we heard it read today, that the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. So if one anointed by and filled with the Spirit of God is capable of such deceit, exploitation, conniving, and outright lying, why would we believe that any ruler could resist doing likewise. My sisters and brothers, my message for you today is that we must stop putting our faith in politicians to lead us and legislate over our lives. It is past time that we open our eyes from that which blinds us and causes us to continually endorse rulers whose intentions today are no different from those about which God warned the people of Israel. The blindness that infects us, however, is not a blindness of sight, no, it is a blindness of our hearts. Allow me to share with you a a story that I hope will help illustrate what I'm trying to say. A parishioner at, at our cathedral, back in Buffalo, was angry with me when I wore the game jersey of Colin Kaepernick during a sermon <laughs> shortly after he began protesting by not standing for the national anthem. And this parishioner, not just a member, but a member of our vestry, was so upset with me that she contacted the wardens to inform them that she was quitting the cathedral they fortunately gratefully convinced her to speak with me directly to avoid that insidious triangulation that seems to exist in every church now I know you certainly must not have anything like that ever <laughs> happening here at St. A's, clearly no such unhealthy behavior has ever taken place here. Sarah, Sarah, her real name, and I talked. And I explained that, and she explained to me in our 45 minutes together, she explained to me that as a daughter of the American Revolution, She considered my solidarity with Kaepernick disrespectful of our veterans, active duty personnel, and members of law enforcement. Now Sarah admitted readily to not really hearing any of my sermon once she saw me wearing Kaepernick's jersey. She admitted to being blinded by her rage. So in our time together, I repeated what I had shared in my sermon, that Ronnie, my wife, and I have family members, neighbors, and dear friends that have served and continue to serve in our nation's military. In fact, a cousin was just promoted to lieutenant colonel only a few months ago, and I've got two of my cousins who from North Carolina and now making their home here in California, here, who can attest to this? We are all very proud of her promotion. I couldn't be prouder and grateful for her service. Others dear to Ronnie and me have worn blue and patrolled some of the toughest neighborhoods in our country, risking their lives every shift. And In my conversation with Sarah, I told her how the KKK, the Ku Klux Klan, had terrorized and taunted me all of my life, from childhood into and through adulthood. And as they taunted me, they did so while saluting the flag and often singing the Star Spangled Banner. And I told her how I had stopped saying the Pledge of Allegiance and singing the National Anthem since high school in Durham, North Carolina. Because after the pledge and the singing of the National Anthem, the band always broke out into Dixie. I told Sarah how I decided a long time ago To only pledge allegiance to God, and that the only anthem for which I will stand is one that gives glory and honor to God. The only symbol I salute these days is the cross of Jesus Christ, and I do so as a soldier in the Jesus movement. Well, Sarah did not quit the vestry nor the church. In fact, she joined me in an interview with Sports Illustrated about our experience. She and I discussed how what we see with our eyes, what we see with our eyes can blind us and prevent our seeing what's in the heart of another. And I believe there seems to have been an epidemic of blindness in this country leading up to the presidential election, a blindness that continues today. How else do you explain our election of a narcissistic bully who is so blatantly sexist, racist, misogynistic, xenophobic, vulgar, uncouth, uncaring, and unqualified? to serve in the office. How do we elect a person whose ideals conflict with the very ideals upon which this country was founded? As people of faith, we will not be hoodwinked, bamboozled, or led astray by this modern-day Saul or David, who rules from 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, except when he's down in Florida every weekend almost. Jesus, Jesus says in today's gospel, we must do the works of the one who sent him. We must do the works of the one who sent him. And what is the work that we, followers of Jesus, are called to do? Jesus asked us to follow the great commandment. You know it. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, love your neighbors as yourself Jesus even goes on to outline exactly what loving God and our neighbors looks like Matthew 25 35 and following feeding the hungry giving drink to the thirsty caring for the sick visiting those who are in prison welcoming the stranger Jesus makes no exceptions He doesn't say, do this for those, but not for these. He doesn't say, welcome everyone except those from these six countries. So it might sound like politics when I highlight efforts by our rulers to do just the opposite of what Jesus demands. How does one, how does one, may I ask, profess to be a Christian while supporting the the, the denial of health insurance to anyone, let alone 25 million people. Please help me understand how loving your neighbor translates into building a wall, whether by executive orders or concrete, to keep refugees and immigrants out of this country, a country that has been a haven for immigrants and refugees since its inception. The Lord says, remember, you were once strangers in a foreign land. So treat others as your ancestors and you have been treated. What kind of follower of Jesus, what kind of follower of Jesus supports elimination of programs that provide education, health care, and food to the neediest children, women, and families in this country? What Christian supports the elimination of meals on wheels? Accuse me of preaching politics if you must. But the gospel of Jesus Christ commands us to ensure basic life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness for all of God's children. You know, God is good. Somebody say all the time. God is good. This morning as I was still working on this sermon for you all, I looked in some email and I got a notice that a new book is out. It's called Preaching in the Era of Trump. A primer. It's by Wesley Allen Jr., Wes Allen. And he said he's writing this book in light of the election and the potential for significant harm that this presidency could do to the ethical fabric of our society. Maybe I should have written the book instead of getting on the plane and coming out here. <laughs> might have made some money. Remember how the people of God, remember how the people of, of God asked God for a king and God warned them that their kings would be unjust, unfair, self-absorbed and tyrannical? Well, in the end, the people got what they asked for. The same might be said about us today. We are blinded, my sisters and brothers. We are blinded by what we see, unable to look in the hearts of those who would be king. Our faith is not in politicians or in immortal. It is only in the one who said, I came into the world for judgment so that those who do not see may see. Jesus is the one that opens our eyes that we might embrace the morals, ethics, and principles he practiced when he lived on this earth. It matters not if you are male or female, a religious authority or a non-believer, or a Democrat or a Republican. It's not about a conservative platform versus a progressive agenda. It is about the gospel of Jesus the Messiah. It's about the vows of our baptismal coming. To do unto others as we would have them to do to us. To respect the dignity of every human being. Either we believe those things or we don't. When we allow Jesus to open our eyes, we will. We will feed the hungry, give drink to the thirsty, care for the sick, welcome the stranger, visit those who are in prison. So I ask you this day, my beloved, is your faith blind enough to do that? If it isn't, then Jesus is waiting to open your eyes so that you and I may see with what those with sight like Samuel Saul. King David and the Pharisees could not see. God bless you. Amen.